All right, Bizzlecasters, welcome to a Bizzlecast quickie for mid-October 2016. This is going to launch the fall series. We're going to keep this one short, address some topics for some upcoming TV and film properties. But first, want to welcome back senior contributor, Matty Goisman. Matt. Hi, everybody. I am very happy to be back. And I think I watch basically every fall TV show regarding superheroes and science fiction there is, so we've got a lot to talk about, but we'll keep it quick, so uh, let's get into this. Yeah, so um, just a quick uh, TOC, um, we've got uh, CW shows, we're, then we're going to talk very briefly about the new um, Star Wars Rogue One trailer, and even more briefly about Doctor Strange, um, and that'll actually be the topic of Doctor Strange, is the, the briefness of our interest in it at the moment. Um, however, I should mention that, and this is in no small part to you the Bizzlecast has crossed 10,000 listens 8,000 of those listens have come within the last year uh even though I've been around over a year and a half so that's awesome so congratulations to you and thank you man my pleasure uh this is a really good podcast that you've put together and I appreciate uh you letting me come on from time to time to talk about people in capes Oh man, well, the fact that you've, you know, made it your own a bit has, you know, has upped my game and made me interested and uh you know, I can always count on that, you know, like if a week or two goes by and I I need some some content and we'll be like, "Oh yeah, we'll talk for 20 minutes." Well, really today we're going to keep it short, but then we end up talking for an hour and a half. It's fantastic. <laughs> um I should also uh mention uh, quickly uh that our Orphan Black podcast is now in three digits and um although it hasn't quite hit that yet, Yet there has been a lot of uh, interest and just comments about our uh, Jessica Jones, uh, or I should say our Defenders podcast. Um, maybe we can get this at the end if we feel like it. We seem to be in the minority in thinking JJ is well above Daredevil and Luke Cage. Um, I know a lot of nerds that I listen to or just comments that are really disparaging towards Jessica Jones. Um, even people whose uh, opinions I normally respect. Um, any quick thoughts on, on why this might be the case other than just nerd sexism? I think there is certainly that. Um, and I think specifically... I mean, to be blunt, I think men have a problem relating to women who go through uh, sexual abuse, trauma, rape, things yep. like that. It's it's not something men really have the capacity have shown the capacity to empathize with in this country. I think there's ample ample evidence of that, and so where women might very very heavily relate to Jessica Jones, her motivations, how why her character is the way it is, guys might just not get it. I would also say that Jessica Jones is plaintive, is contemplative and nuanced and quiet in a way that Daredevil is loud and violent and angry. And I think that makes it more appealing to a niche audience. I think appeals to everybody who likes action stuff. You know, I think the same reason that Orphan Black has never really exploded in the ratings. And I don't think it will even with Tatiana Maslany winning a much deserved Emmy is because its style of shooting and it's the way it constructs its episodes doesn't appeal to that real baseline need to see things get shot and explode and, and everything uh, that you see in a daredevil or an arrow or a walking dead, you know, where everybody's head is exploding because they're zombies um mm -hmm. so yeah i think jessica jones targets a niche group and the rest find it very very hard to access um and but it I sucks find... oh sorry go ahead well i'm just saying it sucks because i i think it is 
a better made show that just isn't trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. I mean, look, if you like Daredevil because he's a popular comic book character that you, you read growing up and, and, and the action is well executed, um, that's fine. I actually think just from a plot and character standpoint, Jessica Jones actually moves the quickest from character development. I mean, you have to wait so many episodes of Daredevil for real character development, in my opinion. I've only seen three or four Luke Cage episodes. I mean, I it's, so it. it's so slow. It's so slow. To be fair... Some of the nerds are conditional, and they say, well, we really like Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones. We just don't like the show. And so I don't know what to say yeah, about that. Yeah, that's a cop-out. That I, I honestly think sometimes people say that because they don't want to fully disparage something that's critically liked, that they know is, popu- is generally regarded as very good. So I'm not sexist, but blah, 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 blah. I think, it's, I think there's some element to that. I think Jessica Jones just does never try to appeal to everybody. And I think it does also help that Daredevil comics were more popular, already had a movie, appeared in the Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s. Jessica Jones, even as a comic, that alias comic, that I don't believe was published in main Marvel line. I think it was one subsidiary lines like DC had Vertigo and Marvel's whatever its adult thing was. Yep. Was that's what Ailey is published as? Because yep. um, there's nudity and they swear and things like that. So even the comics were never going after appealing to the broad base of Marvel readers. So there is not that same familiar pre-existing familiarity with the character. Now the same could be said about Luke Cage to a lesser extent. I I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, look, when Barack Obama, I don't want to get too political here. When Barack Obama got elected. I was not at all shocked that a black man got elected before a woman, and we are seeing right. that now. I mean, when it comes to sexism, men really have trouble dealing with it mm-hmm. because there are a lot of men who are very liberal and progressive when it comes to race and ethnicity who still have tons and tons of chauvinism and you know and, and um, macho you know man stuff underneath. Um, you know, I mean, even you know, hipsters and hippies. I mean, to take any group and men are sexist, you know? Like, you can find large groups that aren't racist. It's very hard to find large groups of men that aren't sexist. And so the fact that people are, like, you know, drooling over Luke Cage, which is not as well written or executed, in my opinion, at least through the first few episodes, and dismissive of Jessica Jones, which won a Peabody, by the way. Um, right. Now, Luke Cage might win one because it, of the, you know, for political reasons. That's fine. Yeah. Daredevil's never going to win a Peabody. I don't think Iron <laughs> Fist no. is going to win a Peabody. No, I doubt either will. Yeah, really quick, I like the Iron Fist trailer. I'm excited for that. I think that was, might be my favorite already, I can tell. I think I'm going to like him the best of the three male characters. Any thoughts? You know, that actor was Loris Tyrell in Game of Thrones, and he was okay, but not great. They didn't, I don't know how well fleshed out that character is in the books, but they didn't do a lot with him other than make him just sort of a, a piece to get moved around by other people. Well, I think the writing is shite on that show, as you know, so that, I'm not making a judgment yeah. one way or the other. So... I think it'll be good. I hope, you know, Danny Rand's background is very similar to Oliver Queen's or Bruce Wayne's in that both are rich kids who grow up privileged and then lose their parents in whatever setting and then kind of get morphed usually through some kind of exposure to Eastern training uh, into these, you know, fighting assassin machine characters. 
I hope they don't just fall back and make Danny Rand another Oliver Queen or Bruce Wayne. I hope they find some way to make his character distinctive. Oh, that's interesting. You think he'll be the he'll be the uh, the the money uh, daddy warbucks of the defenders? I think so I mean, he ha- he has a lot of you know pre existing wealth, hmm. and I I don't think he's going to lose all of it. Yeah, and I think the place where he goes, Kunlun, could just as easily be Nanda Parbat or. Sure. Uh, uh, wherever the place that Bruce Wayne yeah. goes to get trained, which is sometimes Nanda Parbat or, or wherever the League of Assassins is based out of at the time. Yep. So, and as, we, as we've talked about, and as I, I've made my opinion clear on this, is that the more the Defenders universe goes on, not including Jessica Jones, the, especially Daredevil and with Iron Fist, I'm right. not saying, you know, I mean, Arrow and Batman or Dark Knight stuff just got, be, you know, beat them to the punch in, in recent years right. um, for whatever reason. Um, really quickly, and then I want to move to CW, yep. um, which is that, uh, I, <laughs> you know, Jessica Jones, if I was writing the Defenders, you know, she would be one of the leaders, if not the leaders. But what I'm more excited about is Kristen Ritter being disgusted with all three men for different reasons. I think it's going to be great. She's going to be disgusted at Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock because he's so fucking self-righteous. And he's yes. kind of an <laughs> idiot when it comes to being like at all philosophical about the real world. You know, he's so right. Catholic, as we've talked about. She's going to be mad at Luke Cage for, you know... Personal th- reasons. Personal reasons. And then... Although I think they'll obviously reconcile, and then she'll she'll hate Danny Rand for being a spoiled rich kid, right? Probably so that'll be that'll be great. So okay, so look forward to that. Um, if you do end up watching more Luke Cage, I, I just am having trouble stomaching it from a writing standpoint. I don't like the characterization. I'm not going to say the characters because that seems to be a swipe at the actors. I don't like the characterizations. And I've seen these actors in other properties and like them. So, mm-hmm. you know, you pointed out maybe it's for a specific audience. I, I'm not sure it's it's racially um, based, though. I think that's just a certain kind of writing style and pacing that I just... The Wire is the only show where I like the slow pacing, for the most part, for a TV show, you know, I'm more of an orphan ba- black Battlestar Homeland guy. That's just me. Um, so maybe we'll revisit that. Okay, Matt. So CW. So you've seen, as you said right before the podcast, basically the, the premiere of every television show um, worth seeing. I assume you've seen Atlanta, which I haven't seen. No, I haven't. I, oh, I you haven't seen Atlanta. I, if it involves a cape or superhero <laughs> or sci-fi to some extent to okay. a lesser extent because I, I don't watch any like i don't watch frequency right kind of shows but basically if it involves superheroes i've seen all of them or like vampires or zombies or any of that stuff um i've seen it. so genre stuff i've seen most i've seen all the good stuff and some cool. of the bad stuff because i still watch gotham Right, you, you hate 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 watch Gotham. Yeah, th- um, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let me set this up real quick. So we briefly mentioned, you know, scratching our heads that CW decided to release Flash and Arrow the day of the new season. Like somehow we were going to be able to binge watch forty six episodes just of those two shows um, before it started. So now I'm in a situation where I'm DVRing shows and my DVR <laughs> might fill up before I catch up on the two shows. Now Flash, I'm almost done. I've only have like two more episodes of flash okay. i'm really i'm really having trouble with it it's not that i don't like the show it's just they keep 
uh, you know, trying to resell lovey-dovey relationships every week. We, we've bought it. We know these characters love each other. They don't need to do this all the time. Yeah. I'll say what you will about Arrow. I'm like six, seven episodes into season four. It's not amazing, but they they pulled back on the lovey-dovey stuff. I mean, I even like Laurel and Laurel's dad more at the moment. Just, you know, <laughs> maybe that'll run out. So I'm, I'm trying to get through those two. So even if I had seen, it, seen the new episodes, I'd want to keep this non-spoilery. So... Right. Tell the so for people who have heard of these shows. Okay, so so spell out the main four shows, how they're related, and the ways in which they're they're more related. I think in this season uh, than past seasons. So go ahead. All right. So the four shows are, and I'm going to put them out in the order basically that they debuted. Was Arrow came first, Flash came second. Basically, they introduced Barry Allen midway through season two of Arrow, and oh, then. Yeah. Arrow season three and Flash season one debuted simultaneously. Last year, Supergirl premiered on CBS, not the CW, and then it moved to the CW this year, basically because the ratings weren't good enough to justify its the special effects budget. And then Legends of Tomorrow began through last year. Um, uh, plot wise, Supergirl still exists entirely in its own universe. It's For not now. the same Earth. Yeah. yeah, and Barry Allen has been there. Nobody else knows that Supergirl exists yet, um, but it's obviously coming. Uh, and then Legends of Tomorrow is basically pulling characters from all of the different, from Flash and Arrow and putting them all together. You have, in Season 1, you had Heatwave and Captain Cold and the Hawks, who were all introduced in Flash. You had... Uh, Firestorm, which was all Flash. Uh, Rip Hunter, the captain of the ship, was introduced just for the show. But you also had um, Katie Lotz as White Canary, who was introduced on is an Arrow character. Um, so it's mostly Flash characters and White Canary all together. Um, which, spoiler alert, season four of Arrow. I, I am so upset with how they handle Laurel's character because she's not that likable to begin with. But the decision that she makes regarding her sister and Nanda Parvat really makes no sense, even within the nonsensical development of her character. Go ahead. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, Barry Allen runs back in time to try to save his That's mom. That's true. At the end that. of season one and the end of season two. So I won't spoil what happens if you haven't seen the, the last episode, but that is what this, the last episode is about. And season th- the new season for Flash is all about the repercussions of that. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't care that you tried to do it. I mean, have you seen the episode with Constantine? Um, I think that is the very next episode, okay. and I'm extremely excited for it because I remember you talking about how awesome it was. Yeah. Just because Matt Ryan does a really good job. Uh, as, Not the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, no, there's two. Um, <laughs> Matthew Ryan, I think, is what he goes by. Maybe purely so he's not confused with uh, the Boston College graduate Atlanta Falcons QB. Oh, yeah. Um, Matty Ice from uh, outside of Philadelphia, PA, baby. There you go. Um, my brother told me he used to go to Newberry, and he'd occasionally go play volleyball at B.C., uh, Newberry College is right near Boston College, and he told me that one time Matt Ryan came to play pickup volleyball with them and was very drunk. Um, so that's, <laughs> I have to I have to press him on that story. I, I, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but so maybe Matty Ice refers to his drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I mean, if if Natty Ice is your drink of choice, you have a problem. I yeah. mean, okay, so. 
putting Legends of Tomorrow aside for a second. Right. But wait, quick sidebar before I put it aside. Is Legends of Tomorrow basically the dumping ground for dead characters that people like from the other shows? I don't think dumping ground is the right word. It is certainly the the place you put characters that you could pull away that aren't quite so critically tied to the to the goings on of the main character of you know, what Heatwave and Captain Cold do doesn't really affect Barry Allen, particularly because their schemes are never destroy the world, steal everybody's speed, try to beat the Flash to death. You know, they just like robbing banks and stuff. So they go about their way and Flash has to stop them occasionally. But the rest of the time, he doesn't really care what they're doing because they're not a world shattering threat. Sarah Lance, you know, she doesn't have a life outside of being White Canary so and she's a League of Assassin member on and off. So she again can sort of go about her life and Arrow. You know, Oliver Queen doesn't really have to be too concerned about what her what she does impacting his life. You know, outside the rest of the time. So castoffs isn't the right word because they're they're all good characters. No, but- I did, yeah, I didn't mean in terms of them being B rate characters. I just meant like they are all dead at various times. And then come uh, back to life. Kind of. Right. That, kind of, that's, kind of whatever. that's sometimes true. I mean, they're all characters that aren't needed for the main shows. Let's put Legends aside for a second. I will say, the little I've seen of Brandon Ruth on... I still haven't seen Superman Returns. The little I've seen of him on screen, and even on some interviews off screen... Yeah. God, they should have kept him as Superman. He's so <laughs> much more appealing of a personality. I mean, he may also be a two-dimensional actor, but that's at least one dimension more than Cavill has. <laughs> um, although, again, we, it's hard to separate Cavill from Snyder. Actually, it's impossible. It's possible he would flourish. Um, but I like Brandon Ruth, and I like um, Katie Lutz. Um, so we'll leave that for another day. So look, from my perspective, and then I wanted to give, you know, give just grades and, and a quick, um, summation of your thoughts of the, of the main three shows. Right. So this is Arrow season five, which is amazing because, you know, Arrow's been up and down for four seasons and, you know, legendarily, even I know, though I'm not there yet, the last like six episodes of season four, which I'm watching are supposedly terrible. Um, but I guess they built up enough of a fan base. You know, they say once you hit season four, you you go, you come into um, uh, what do they call it when they like syndication? Put you on other, syndication, right? I, yeah. I don't know if Arrow is going to be one of those shows, but uh, if you get to season five, you're doing something right. I would argue that it's really, I think, um, Bet Records, um, Emily Bet Records, Emily Bet Records, and uh, Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen, and to a lesser extent, uh, Thea. Um, played by Willa Holland and some of the other characters that keep that show going. I really like Arrow. It's more my style. You know, like I said, yeah, well, I like darker things. I, I really didn't like the lovey-dovey stuff. They pulled back on that. You know, I, I think the, the island uh, flashbacks, it's almost humorous at this point. You know, the, the, they're still relying on the... It, they keep finding new ways for Amanda Waller to screw Oliver Queen. It's great. Who... I, li- I like her, by the way. I like that actress. Go ahead. I do, too. I thought she did a great job. Um, I will say season five, he's not on XR of his time in Russia, which they've hinted at. Wait, can you say that again? You broke out, you, you broke out for a second. He's not where? He's not on the island in his flashbacks uh... in season five. He's in Russia training to become part of the Bratva. Um, so the setting oh, right. is different. It brings back uh, Anatoly Kinzaev, uh, his friend, who in the comics is called KG Beast. Uh, which is more of a funny pun than an interesting bad guy. Uh, but he's a good character, and I liked how that actor plays him. Um, 
so they've changed the setting for the flashbacks, which I really like. Because really, I mean, what more can you do on the island? It doesn't strike me as big enough to house five seasons worth of weird background plots. So now he's just in Russia doing something else. I think at the end, he's probably going to go back to the island because he has to go back there and get found eventually. But I think most of this season will be present day and Russia. So they've changed the setting, which is good. I didn't love the background plot with China in season three with that virus or where he's in Hong Kong with uh, the two Japanese people. I still like that it was a different setting and it uh, kind of than the previous two. So, you know, I'm glad they changed it up and hopefully season six, they're just going to do away with flashbacks completely. No, I just, I love watching younger, whinier <laughs> Oliver Queen and the flashbacks is great. Um, it, it, look, it's way more appealing than Batman, way more three dimensional. I love that he's involved in like every shadowy organization in the world against his will is like a really interesting thing. If they had a bigger budget, they could probably do more globe trotting, but it doesn't matter because they're able to pull it off through the flashbacks. I like that show flash again, too much lovey dovey for me. Um, I haven't seen Supergirl. I don't think I'm going to get to that. Legends probably won't get to that, at least until I do two flash and arrows. So, man, really quickly, one or two sentences. You don't have to give an actual grade, but thumbs up or thumbs down and a couple sentences on the three or four main CW shows, and then we'll, we'll move on. All right. Um, I would give a thumbs up, actually, to probably all four of them. Um, nice. Supergirl. I was really nervous. They cast Superman. They just hint at Superman's existence, oh. and occasionally they like CGI him, his cape flying by or something in season one, but they don't ever have him on screen. So season two, people were worried when they cast this guy Taylor Hokel or Hakel is his name, as Superman, that suddenly the show would be about Superman and Supergirl. It's not. They do it really well. Uh, the that actor and Melissa Benoist have great chemistry with each other. Um, it's a very good version of Superman, you know, who's smiling and hopeful and, and boy and endearing. He's not as movie Bob Chipman referred to Henry Cavill downer man. You know, he's enthusiastic. He's not cocky. He doesn't try to steal Supergirl's thunder, which is what I was really afraid was going to happen. So um, there's a really sweet moment where he says, I'd like to stick around because I know a lot about Krypton's culture, but when you tell me stories about it, because Supergirl grew up there and so actually has memories of it, it makes it feel real. And it's a very, very sweet moment about what Supergirl could actually teach Superman. Very well done episode. Um, and I really liked it. So I, I am excited to see more Supergirl. Uh, Arrow, I thought the season premiere had some of the best fight choreography since season one. Um, Much rawer, much darker, much more Uh, brutal. He kills kills people. I mean, spoiler. Um, (laughs) And he hasn't gone back to the cavalier, I'll just kill people and not think about it attitude of season one. But he certainly has gotten darker, you know, um, because over these four seasons and he's starting to give up this idea that he can... He, ha- he can only use non-lethal force. So, Do you think, you know, if, if I can just interrupt really quick, because yeah. you teased that you predicted and they have announced there's going to be aliens in this season of Arrow. Do you that's think this is... The, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna, well, 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 if that's not the case, then you should stop me now before I ask a question. Well, I was wrong in that I thought there was going to be an overarching plot of an alien invasion in all of the seasons. I think what they're doing is a four-part crossover special event that's going to be 
the invasion of Earth. Although Flash, the main bad guy, seems to be a guy named Dr. Alchemy, who is not a speedster, so I like that, who says, I am preparing this Earth. Preparing the Earth for what? It would imply there is some kind of invasion coming, unless they're going to start getting into Crisis on Infinite Earths, which they need to start setting up pretty soon, because that's the the plot they've been hinting at since the pilot, and it's the most critical Flash story maybe ever written so at some point they're gonna have to do it and they're gonna need a whole year to get to the point where you know the anti-monitor shows up so they need to start getting us there pretty quickly i think especially because i don't know that this show is going to go seven seasons i think flash might end after five um so just because i i don't see them being able to keep this up for for four more years so they got to get to this plot at some point i don't know um yeah, I don't think I don't think the central cast of Flash to me is as um, has as much longevity uh, built in as the the central cast to Arrow. That's just my opinion. Um, I, I think you know the 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 original team. What do they call them? The OTA original team yeah, Arrow. Sure. Yeah. Um, w- with Felicity and Dig. Um, I wish Dig was less angry sometimes, but whatever. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and Thea. Um, and some form of canary um, is is pretty good. I also also think the uh, the the interest in this in this genre is starting to wane a little bit. I think it's still going to go strong for a while, but just from conversations between the two of us, I think both of us are less overall pumped for more superhero content than we were even a year ago. I think, which we're going to get to in a second with Dr. Strange very quickly though. I will say what arrow has and flash have going for it in different directions. Arrow has the daredevil thing, which is that it's street level Mm -hmm. and that there's, you know, if you take out the other CW characters and some of the weirder, um, meta humans or whatever, you know, it's not really a superhero story, at least in terms of the main characters. I mean, they're, super badass fighters but they don't have traditional superpowers um daredevil really doesn't daredevil doesn't have traditional superpowers in a, in a way i mean he does in the sense of he can hear things that no one else yeah. can hear um but his his actual physical fighting i mean jessica jones or luke cage could flick him and he'd be done um, right. if they could get a hand on him so i think and then flash has the sci-fi thing going for yeah. which is just the most again if they could just dial back on the family lovey-dovey stuff and focus more on the sci-fi thing it would be way more interesting um i think iris has been completely worthless since season one and maybe the whole time even though i like her um their new uh, brother is not doing anything for me whatsoever joe west is being reduced to uh you know what captain lance is uh, you know just the huggy father figure so right. they just spent more time on the sci-fi stuff um i i really think they could keep it going for a while we'll see if they can do it um to quick side note i, I until you mentioned it as sort of um, uh, in passing when I mentioned the musical last time I didn't realize that Grant Gustin but especially Benoist how long they had been on Glee for I didn't watch Glee so I, I my parents I, love I, that you know Barry does sing in one episode of season one and he's got a good voice I mean you'd kind of expect it yeah yeah you never know I mean I, I, you know I, when I um, 
first started watching Orphan Black and listening to to Maria Doyle Kennedy, uh, who plays like their adoptive foster mom, I'm like, she Ms. looks S, so yeah. familiar. Miss S, yeah, Siobhan. Um, and I, I'm, you probably don't know, well, you know that I'm into world music, but I actually right. started with Irish music. I have like, like a hundred, you know, plus I, uh, albums of like uh, Celtic music actually from all over uh, Europe. There's seven different Celtic nations, as they call them, Spain and the Isle of Man and it's whatever. But I particularly love Irish music and, uh, I, I was like, oh, I've heard her before, and her albums are spectacular. So you, you never know when when these singers are, um, uh, or these 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 char- these actors are, are are really multi-talented. Um, so that's cool. Um, all right, so you give a thumbs up for all of them. Um, yeah. If you had to predict the arcs these seasons, which is the most promising, and which is the one you're the most concerned about? The arc that I'm actually most interested in is the one I haven't talked about yet, which is Legends of Tomorrow, just because. That is a show about time travel and the opportunity to explore different part times in the DC universe to me is very interesting. The show starts off in World War II, basically, uh, and right at the end, you meet the Justice Society of America, which has a bunch of fairly obscure comics characters like Vixen, but not the one from Arrow and Obsidian and Stargirl and just the... um, the over-the-top colorfulness and vibrancy of the group and the one scene they're in in the pilot makes me very excited to see what they do with the group later. I'm still hoping they go to the Legion of Superheroes future at some point. I I, I think the budget is what's going to keep them from doing it, but that's a very rich time in DC Universe history that I'd like to see explored. Interesting. Um, and the plot of season two is going to be about a group that's actually, I think, calling itself the Legion of Doom, and the bad guys are Damian Dark, who I thought did a. I thought uh, Neil McDonough was very good as Damian Dark, even if the plot is kind of clunky in season four of Arrow. And then Reverse Flash, but I think that actor's name is Matthew Leisher, mm. um, the original Reverse Flash, not you know once he takes over Ben Kavanaugh's right. body. Um, and that He's actor way less cool, plays, by the way, as not the Reverse Flash in disguise. He's, Go ahead. He's different. Um, he is much more over the top in his, he's not sinister. He's more over the top, kind of crazy, very evil. And I kind of like what he did with it. He's very, very different, but he, it's different in a way that's also very, um, appealing to me. So, um, and it also makes sense that if you're going to have a show about time travel, you use the only character who can actually, uh, time travel on his own. I mean, even, Reverse Flash didn't have enough speed to be, I mean, as Ben Kavanaugh didn't have enough speed to be able to do it. So far, the only guy who can go backwards in time on his own is uh, the original body of uh, Eobard Thawne. So I kind of like that. Um, and I'm curious to see what they do with it next. Yeah, I mean, the speed thing and the transference, transference of speed and... You know, the fact that you go Mach 2 and travel in time, I mean, it makes zero sense. Uh, the way I would have done it is th- is they would have found the scientific way to temporarily, like for a nanosecond, send them at the res- past the speed of light or something like that. Because yeah. then you could tear a, a hole in, in space-time, and that actually 
you know, from a theoretical standpoint, is scientifically sound uh, of a theory. Um, whatever, that doesn't even really matter. It's all about the character interactions. I just, I don't know why. I mean, this will be my final thought. And and uh, to make a uh, a decent transition about, you know, now Harrison Wells is now in a huggy, lovey-dovey relationship with his daughter named Jesse, and um, and this will tie into Rogue One nicely. And a complaint you have about it, and actually, Adam Dietz just uh, Facebook your exact complaint about the new trailer. Um, so shout out to uh, contributor Adam Dietz, and we're going to address your question Hi, here on the Bizzlecast. But um, uh, my last thought is just I find Arrow the most bin- binge- bingeable. Um, well, I guess I'm just be- between Flash and Arrow. I don't know why it is. Um, maybe just more fast-paced. Maybe it's the island stuff. Um, and Because uh, you know I don't love Batman, but I-, I guess this is sort of the version of Batman that's just more appealing to me, even if it's pulpy. But as you know, you pointed out with Flash, it's, it's, a, it's a very... Uh, lovable and uh, you know entertaining and, and self-referential and self-aware version of pulpiness. So uh, when that's when it's pulpy and it's self-aware about it and it's well executed, then it's good. So okay, well we'll we'll follow these shows and see how they go. You know, hopefully, like by the time they're in episode four or five, I, I can have caught up on this because um, I really just have I've got like fifteen or eighteen Arrow episodes and like one or two Flash episodes, so um, not too much to go there. So mm-hmm. okay, so. This this will be good because I've been complaining about too much family stuff. Um, new Rogue One trailer. Yeah. I love it. There's been mixed opinion about it on the internet. This was actually the one that, uh, <laughs> you know, people say, well, this is, and this was my reaction. I think yours is like, okay, it's obvious this is the reshoot trailer. Um, there's a little bit more comedy. There's a little bit more like buddy, buddy stuff between the team. Right. Um, but, this actually allays... Do you mind if I give my take and then I'll pass it to you? Totally. In a weird way, even though this is quote-unquote the least dark of the trailer, although it's still very dark and violent as far as I can tell, allays my fears because I'm actually okay with a little bit more of the Star Wars buddy-buddy stuff. You kind of need that even in a real dark movie. I was worried that they were changing major dramatic parts of the film. Now I don't think that's the case. I also think this is the most action-packed Star Wars movie ever, it seems, and so it's possible that half those reshoots were action reshoots. Uh, As far as we know, there are no reports of Felicity Jones coming back for like three weeks or anything like that. Right. So I think so. I think they brought back some of the side characters, but I love it. I love that they're smiling and they're having adventures together, and you can see the chemistry already. I pointed out that there are no the, no one on the team other than Alan Tudyk voicing the Imperial robot that they've turned or whatever. There are no white American males that aren't bad. Um, or actually Anglo-American males that aren't bad. Uh, and, and everyone on the team, uh, you know, you got one woman and a bunch of uh, people of color is, is interesting. Um, they're more than teasing a, a romance between her and Diego Luna, which I would be fine with. Um, Felicity Jones continues to be, I think, charismatic um, in her time on screen. I actually really liked the new music. Again, they brought in uh, Michael, what's his name? Gian Carlo, you know, who's he's done like every uh, Star Trek uh, a soundtrack ever. I mean, he's done like 150. He's like John Williams Jr. or whatever. They, they brought in another guy to do some scoring, and I think part of that was scoring for the reshoots. This is not uncommon. Both Avengers movies, I think Danny Elfman also had another person. Um, and like It was like Alan Silvestri and... Um, and, uh, um, and, um, and Elfman. Um, point being... 
for the reasons you maybe are about to point out, I'm actually feeling better about this movie. I was okay that they... That, and the other thing was the plot stuff. Uh, and, oh, and this is this is a complaint. You brought this up ahead of the show. Adam Dietz just sent me a message about this. People are saying, oh my God, it's another like daughter-daddy story or whatever. Yeah. But I, I, but when I was waiting for my car to be repaired today and listening to, to Star Wars Underworld, which I think is the most listened to Star Wars podcast, as far as I can tell. Uh, okay. Not the best, but it's the most, it's the most listened to. Now, they're, they're going to have a problem because Star Wars is launching a TV series or something called Star Wars Underworld. Anyways, um, they, they brought up a great point, which is that if you really look at the dynamics of the film – you keep waiting for there to be like, oh my God, I have to save my dad and turn him. I'm not convinced that he's ever a bad guy. He seems to be more of just a slave. Um, and I think that, that the reason they need her on the surface is because of dad. Um, but I think it's more going to have to do with like someone that he can trust from the rebellion. Like, you know, she's the one person that he could trust, you know, won't sell him out or isn't an Imperial agent or something like that. And they could tell that she's got mad fighting skills and so forth and reasons to hate the empire. That's what I think it is. I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as it seems, but the bottom line is star Wars is a family thing. And you know, like in terms of the inner dynamics, like the family dynamic, the Skywalker thing, the solo thing, you know, Ray and whatever, who she related to Luke and, I, I think that's always going to be a part of Star Wars. I'm fine with it as long as it has a slightly different dynamic. But that wasn't your take, so go ahead. I just talked for a while, so go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I just I feel like when you start making the main character motivated by by loss of parent or by a need to redeem parents, you're just going back. You're just falling back on pre-existing tropes, specific franchise because. You know, we've seen this already. Obviously, Luke has daddy issues, and even though he's at his best when he joins the rebellion, not for any particular need to redeem his parents because he doesn't know that much about them. But by the end, when it just becomes about saving his dad, and like that's the most important thing, I think that's one of the reasons why most people think Return of the Jedi is the weakest of the three Star Wars movies because. The problem with family stuff is it's harder to relate to than you think. You know, everybody has a relationship with their parents, but it does become a specific character instead of just sort of a universal archetype. I'm kind of the opinion that if you're going to just make another story about daughters and dads, why are you making this anthology thing that's supposed to be different? You have a different setting. Why not be different with it? Um, A friend of mine, after we saw Pan's Labyrinth, made the point that fascists are bad because they're fascists you don't also need to have them shoot little kids in the face to reinforce that they're bad the empire is bad because it's the empire because it blows up planets when it feels like it because it allows slavery on plant on the various planets it controls why do you also have to have somebody join up for some personal need to save her father or redeem her father's legacy why not just have a punk kid who wants to join up because the empire are bad guys. And that's what Jin seemed like in the first trailer. And each new trailer seems to be taking away from that characterization of making her just another character that we've seen in Star Trek a million, uh, excuse me, Star Wars a million times of, you know, I've got some daddy stuff. I, I, you know, now she's not saying this is a rebellion. I rebel. Now she's saying rebellions are about hope. We've seen this theme over and over and over again. I wish Star Wars would do something different. 
And as much as I have blasted you for reading too much into about reshoots, this does seem like a tonal shift from the first trailer that strikes me as something that was not in the story originally that Disney mandated because they overmanaged some of their really tenpole properties. Okay, a few points. I don't think it's a reversal, um, other than the reshoot stuff that I mentioned, because this was the first plot trailer. I mean, really, the f- everything we've seen to this point is just Death Star plans, here's the team, here's some funny lines, here's some cool action. This was like real meat. Now, my theory about the father thing is it's not going to be as over the top as, as you and other people are worried about. I think it's a straw that breaks the camel's back with her. Yes, she's a punk kid, but to go on a suicide mission for the rebellion, which she's not even a part of, I think you need a little push. And, and this happens in Braveheart. I mean, in every gladiator, you got to like kill the families. But rather than just kill her dad, it is more interesting for him to be involved on in the project and i think there's another shoe to drop like he's gonna end up having turned to the dark side or be under force control by vader and then if she has to save the daddy or whatever my whole thing is look we know how this is going to end right i mean this is like this is going to be i think the much 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 better revenge of the sith essentially what what was the thing about revenge of the sith as bad as the first two prequels were you're at least like okay we're gonna get to see how darth vader turns to darth vader as bad as it's gonna be we at least know where this is going in a good way we know where this is going by the way this is the fourth of seven star wars movies that deal directly uh with the death star five if you count the end of revenge of the sith um, right but I actually like this. Like as a writer, I would enjoy this challenge where you have to work the story backwards. I think that's cool because as I've said over and over, you know, the little plot twists to me don't make that much of a difference in movies because movies that I love, I see over and over and over again. And that plot twist is only great the first time, you know? And so, I mean, after that, you're just watching for the characters and the humor and the action and all that sort of stuff. And that's why I think actually J.J. Abrams did a great job of, uh, spoiler alert, the only major plot twist was Han Solo getting killed by his son Kylo Ren which wasn't even a major plot twist if you're following the movie um, or even just watching it if you didn't know spoilers ahead of I didn't know spoilers ahead of did you know uh, Han Solo Kylo Ren relationship thing before the movie no um, but once it became clear whose father Kylo Ren's was it became very obvious that at some point Han Solo was going to die. And then once you get to the catwalk scene, I mean, if you didn't see that coming, you really have not seen the other star Wars movies because it's almost shot for shot. The same confrontation as Darth and Obi-Wan in the, in star Wars, a new hope. Um, But again, it made, I'm sorry, again, it made for me, I, I said, and I say in my commentary, force awakens, I love that they killed Han Solo, not because I don't want more Han Solo and Harrison Ford, but because he's the one guy who could really set the stakes for both the end of that movie for the main characters and going forward. You know, you weren't going to kill Luke. There wasn't really any sense in killing Leia yet. Um, I I was pretty convinced once I found out that it was his son that that was going to happen. But when Leia says, go bring back our son, and the look that they give to each other, I'm like, oh my god, this is definitely going down. But again, it was Adam Driver and and Harrison Ford's performance that that I love, you know? I love watching that scene. Uh, And uh, so for me, it's all about telling the narrative. And Han Solo was the perfect person to kill. There was no way Harrison Ford was going to do three movies. Um, And so it makes sense on that level as well. 
Uh, and so, yeah. And so for me, if they sell it and it's understated and it's not melodramatic, uh, you know, Luke killing Vader, you know, melodrama, I personally right. love the final scene. Other than George Lucas screwing it up by adding the no, uh, you know, I, I love the final battle uh, on the Death Star. Return of the Jedi. Maybe that's just because the movie I grew up watching the most. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a defender of Return of the Jedi. So, anyways, I don't know. I mean, to finish here, because we got to go, a couple quick points, and then, and then we'll sign out. Um, yeah, so the reshoots I, 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 are almost transparent, but unlike, um, unlike in Suicide Squad, the overall tone hasn't changed. It might be a little bit lighter in terms of the buddy-buddy stuff going back and forth. Right. Um, and the dad element or whatever, although I think the dad element was probably there from the beginning. Um, but unlike Suicide Squad, where it was just really dark and unappealing, and then it was they just threw Bohemian Rhapsody over it and hoped that it, that would solve everything, uh, this doesn't seem to be that radical of a tonal shift um, so I hope, I know you're going to see this no matter what, but I hope this didn't decrease your, you know, excitement by more than like 10% because, you know, I mean, it's Star Wars and, and, and I think we're still, this is still going to be the dark war movie we've been hoping for. Um, and in some ways it's the most epic in, in, in scale, right? I mean, we've got, if you look at Force Awakens, you got Jakku and then they're on the ship and the freighter for a ton of time and then they're on Maz's right. planet. But that wasn't like a particularly complicated um, setting, you know. And then they're back on ships, and then they're on, you know, the icy uh, world where Starkiller Base is. Um, some of these landscape shots, I mean, the very first frame is a, is a shuttle with, flying through, like, the rings around this planet. Um, and so, uh, anything cool that you liked about the new trailer? Uh, no. <laughs> there was... <laughs> There was no scenes in that that I hadn't all. I mean, there was a couple of new clips from the same, you know, ATATs and ATSTs blasting through uh, urban areas, but I'd already seen those fight scenes. I knew those were coming. So a couple of different shots of the same fight didn't really do it for me. I, I just feel like, I, I don't know. I, you have said that you kind of have wondered what they'll do with this character afterwards um, and if they don't kill her. And I've said that, you know, it's a giant universe and they can do whatever they want with her if they want, if, you know, that's the contract they signed her to. But now if the whole plot is about saving her dad, once they've saved her, then they really don't have a reason to go back to this character, that it really is a one-off character. And I think, think if they had stayed away from a, a personal mission and just kept it as i'm joining the rebellion to rebel it would have left them a much easier opportunity to go back to this character if she's received well and i think ultimately she will be because i mean yeah. ray was received extremely well I, I like the idea that they're all gonna die, and maybe she dies like you know with her dad or something like that i just like the way it's shot up i mean the way that um uh, that Ryan Johnson just shoots right head on up on the characters. It's just a very different filming style um, from Lucas and even JJ. I mean, we've got tracking shots. There's more moving camera. You know, um, I, I, I don't know. There, there's something to me that just that just feels different about this. And maybe it is just the way the the action is shot and so forth. I mean, the jungle scenes look spectacular. Um, by the way, yeah, the Alan Tudyk robot, it looks absolutely seamless from what we've seen so far. Um, that, that's, that's hard to pull off, uh, because it's bigger than a normal person. It's like with Groot and Guardians, they talk about how difficult that was, because 
you know, there wasn't any person tall enough to take the place of Groot. Like Rocket, you just had, uh, you know, James Gunn's brother, like, like kneeling as they were filming it. Um, and uh, I hope Forrest Whitaker has more than just like a five-minute wise guy part, um, wise man part of the movie. So, okay, we'll stay tuned. It's hilarious that you criticize me for the same things that you're talking about now, and I'm feeling better about it. Such is the way. Um, and just in closing, man, to contrast this to Doctor Strange, I mean, right. the, ex- the excitement level in general in the world, and it just for me, is so much higher for a new Star Wars movie. You know, like once a year, and, and the fact that they're doing these, these non-anthology movies, and the Han Solo movie, uh, right. which I thought was a bad idea, but the more I read about it, the more I think could be cool. People mm-hmm. seem to like the actor that was cast. They've already announced there's going to be another one in 2020. I mean, I'm actually okay with, like, you know, Star Wars movies every year or two for the, <laughs> the rest of my life. At some point, people will get tired of it. But it does, again, a- as we've talked about, have that sort of fantasy m- mythos quality to it that I, I think m- will make it more sustainable than... Um, than the Marvel movies. I mean, just look how much literature is produced around Star Wars, official and non-official. It's pretty amazing. Right. Um, my final thought on this, um, and, th- and then we can sign off, is just that uh, I-, I wish Star Trek could tap into, into this. Everyone I've talked to that has seen Beyond, including non-Trekkies, really liked it. In fact, I think non-Trekkies like, may have liked it more than Trekkies, really liked the movie, but they just screwed up on the marketing of it. They're trying to market the hell out of the DVD, Blu-ray, and digital stuff online, as I'm sure you've seen. I don't know yeah. what you follow. Which is fine. I don't think it's super rewatchable, um, but... Uh, yeah, I know. We've talked to... We'll cover this before. So, okay, man. Well, this is good. This will set up the fall. Um, and uh, really quickly with the Star Trek connection, we were talking about this beforehand. So, right. I, I didn't start listening to the Nerdist podcast till like six to eight months ago. And I, I don't love Chris Hardwick. You I know? really don't like him. I think he's... I, I, I actually kind of think he's a hack. I, I, I yeah. really... My dad hates him. But he has great guests on. He does. And the, but the, but the best guests and the only one I can listen to are, are veterans that he just shuts up and listens to them, like Jodie mm-hmm. Foster or Jeff Bridges or, um, Neil Gaiman. Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman was amazing. Um, Patrick Stewart every time he's on. Ian McKellen, like the, well, the how great are you interrupt Patrick Stewart? I mean, yeah, I mean, and he he's so sassy too, which is funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, but. I, 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 I listened to the one, it come to my attention like a, a year ago that Will Wheaton had entered back into the nerd sphere. Now, I'm so removed because apparently he's been on the Big Bang Theory for years now. I had no idea. Playing he's on Dark Matter. I mean. Yeah. So whatever. So I heard he was back in the nerd world and actually really enjoyed his interviews. And I could, I, I, like, he was sort of like the better side of, of Hardwick. The problem with Hardwick is he seems on one hand to be forcing the nerdiness and he needs to be like the expert about it, but he just doesn't, it doesn't ring true with him. But with Wheaton, it seemed to really ring true that he was a super nerd. Um, and that's actually part of the reason that he took the, the, the Wesley Crusher role um, was that he loved Star Trek and everything Star Wars and Star Trek and so forth growing up. Right. And uh, I would just direct people to um, the uh, YouTube slash nerd geek community called uh, Geek and Sundry, uh, which was founded by Felicia Day. For, mm-hmm. for you big nerds out there who's like, 
you know the the the, the supermodel not look, look so though she's very pretty but you know she's she's like the you know the 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 uh prototypical um a leader of the new uh, nerd and geek generation with her show online the guild which some of the listeners probably are familiar with i'm sure you've seen some of her music videos um uh, online and uh she really helped pioneer nerd culture online and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you if you follow much of this stuff, but anyways, just a real quick plug. So Will Wheaton hosts a show, um, f- I think entering its fourth season, that's just called Tabletop, and it's just them playing like n- like nerdy board and card games with like celeb like minor celebrities, sometimes major celebrities like Seth Green and stuff like that. But right. um, uh, uh, you know, um, and it's it's like it's like watching poker on ESPN, but way more entertaining, you know, because Will Wheaton is just such a nerd. And he's just, you know, he loses his mind. He he's an expert at all of these games, and he loses every single time, not on purpose. It's like a thing, you know. Like he only rolls ones and twos. It's just very entertaining, and it's just just the sort of earnest, enthusiastic, real shit. I know. I know. It seems weird as this example that there was more of, and less of the nerdist. Like, oh, can we out nerd each other with our references and so forth, you know? And just sort of geeks being themselves, which is really what Felicia Day and her whole, you know, world is about um have you ever been a part of the 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 extended felicia day um not part but you know online web stuff not really um i watched her in uh dr horrible sing-along blog and she's very funny in that um you know i i respect what felicia day is doing especially because she is very much an advocate for female gamers in a world that has been proven to be pretty toxic to that you know she was one of the very she, people went to her for comment very frequently during the whole Gamergate phenomenon, and she got doxxed, which means somebody gave out her personal information in the hopes that she would get harassed. Um, so I, I give her credit for uh, continuing to battle despite facing some pretty strong adversity, uh, but I don't follow her kind of exploits much beyond that. Um yeah, I mean, she's just sort of, uh, you know, she's sort of an overseer of a lot of this creativity. Yeah. Right. I, I had one thought I wanted to share about Star sure. Wars really quickly that I couldn't get in, which well, is... A, well, can, can we end with that? Because I just have one more quick sure. thing to say, which okay. is... What's great about Tabletop is, as someone who grew up playing both board you know, and computer games, and now is just so sick of video games, I, cannot, I cannot play another video game. I, right. I, I love the social element of, of you know, board and card games. You know? like, I'm not even that competitive of a guy, but it's just like, way more fun to play with a bunch of your friends around than it is you know, like just shooting people up online. I like that they're sort of bringing it back, and what's interesting is is, um, you know, first of all, not only do they get guys like Ed Brubaker and John Scalzi to come on, which is great, they have amazing mm-hmm. stories, but um, he actually had, had more women than men, like, by far. Um, and actually, a recent poll showed that 47% um, of people who identified as gamers, quote-unquote, are women. Now, if you specify, like, PS, you know, PlayStation or Xbox, it goes way more male, but women who who play, you know, like uh, in person games, like are, are you know are very much into the stuff. Like chicks love board games, you know. I, I think this cannot be understated. Like the the, the ease with which he gets um, people on. So big shout out to that. Well, and then we'll end on your final thought on Star Wars. So go. It used to be that a Star Wars movie coming out, or to a lesser extent, a Star Trek movie coming out was an event that really carried gravitas and weight to it. I mean, 
when the prequels were announced, that was a huge deal because people never really thought there'd be more Star Wars after the original three movies. I worry that as much as Disney can produce these kind of well-executed, entertaining films, if we go to a point where there's just a Star Wars movie every year forever, which is kind of what Disney has said they want to do between the, the anthology films and the the whatever the regular ones are called, you know, they've said they may go past episode nine. There might be 10, 11, 12. We are going to just continue to water down the cultural significance of Star Wars to the point that we don't, we think about it like we think about superhero movies, which is just, ah, oh, there's a new one coming out, but there's no weight to them anymore or any, any other kind of film. And I think one of the only things Star Trek does well, maybe is that because it takes them so long unintentionally, there is more of a sense of gravitas to new Star Trek movies or TV shows when they come out. And I think that Star Wars, in an effort to milk every possible dime out of that franchise, is killing any cultural significance that the franchise or unique cultural significance the franchise might once have had. Because if we just get a Star Wars movie every year, how is that different from what Harry Potter was when it when those movies were coming out or Marvel or anything else? And I really worry that D- Disney has willingly sacrificed that to keep making money on this franchise. And that's whether or not it's a smart business move or not. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, just a quick, um, quick thought and then we'll sign off. I mean. Both um, Iger and uh, Kathleen Kennedy ha- have referred to Rogue One as an experiment, and you know some people might say, "Oh, well, the experiment is that it's really dark." I think the experiment is just having a standalone movie that's set, you know, in between other movies where they might kill off a lot, if not all, the lead characters. Not that they have to kill off all the lead characters. My point being, you know, I, I don't think they should continue the anthology movies I- indefinitely. I think that's that is not a good idea. But standalone movies every year or two, set in different times. I mean, there's some great comic books about like th- you know three thousand years ago in the Star Wars when the, when sure. the Jedi were first emerging you know mm-hmm. like like i remember reading that when i when i was in in middle school or whatever um and th- there's a lot they could mine there um but i i think they'll have to do what marvel do- is doing where they move to netflix and they do web series you know they're, they're gonna have to have a more adult star wars platform of some sort whether that's netflix or amazon or youtube or wherever um for sure i think that's part of why they're testing the the, the quote-unquote dark waters here but yeah i mean look everything that that gets repeated and gets old, you know, as we've talked about, like 15 of the top 20 movies this year are properties that have in some way appeared before. They just announced today that Guy Ritchie is doing an Aladdin uh, live action movie. I'm not making this up. Yeah, I heard about this. I because wish. of course. I mean. Right, because we have to do it. And there's another Jungle Book live action movie coming out in 2018. Um, I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. I think Disney is up for a big fall, actually. I'm going to agree with you on this one. I was sort of joking about the rest of our lives. I just think for the next five or six years, it'll be fun. But after the next five or six years, if Disney's really relying on Marvel and Star Wars to to, to save the company, um, 
It depends about the merchandising. I assume Lucas still gets a lot of the merchandising money. I have like, no idea. There's no way he would have sold away the merchandising. I know it was four billion, but still, that's you know, um, you, you, you can't put a price tag. I mean, you can put a huge price tag on the merchandise. So yeah, I agree. I, I think there is going to be a backlash, as we keep saying, to these sequel PG-13 movies. Um, and uh, I think that's a good thing. The same way I think I'm probably the only one in the country that thinks what's going on politically right now is actually in the long run a good thing in a conversation that needs to have happen. That's just me. I tend to be a bit long-term, big-picture guy. I'm right about some stuff. I'm wrong about others. I hope I'm right about Rogue One being good. I know I've been a little all, all over the place with this one and uh, definitely made a hot take with my first reaction to the um, reshoots, but I think we're not going to see any more trailers. There might be an international trailer that's a slightly repackaged one, and then I'm going to try and stay away from the commercials and stuff, because I, I, is it just me, or does it seem it's like the commercials where they give away the bad spoilers sometimes? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I don't really have a good answer. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, just because you watch more TV. So, I, I mean, do you, do you, do you fast-forward through... Um, through the commercials, even to like movies that you want to see. Uh, I just fast forward through commercials. I certainly don't just stop to watch trailers. I mean, I yeah. have seen trailers that I've breezed through, like for Doctor Strange, but sure. I'm already committed to seeing Doctor Strange, so I don't care. Uh, you know that they're showing another trailer for it. I yeah, and I think you know to end. I mean, the fact that we just aren't that excited or interested in dr strange i am it's, seeing it opening weekend for the purposes of the Bizzlecast, but yeah yeah it's not that we're not interested in it right. it's that we are if anything we are too interested in the j- superhero genre you don't need to keep reminding people like us that dr strange is coming out we know that's a good point fully well that dr strange is coming out we know when it's coming out we know what websites we're going to go to first to see how you know to see who's reviewed it and how we're not the ones who need to be reminded every couple of weeks that a new superhero movie is coming out. There is a large swath of the population that doesn't feel any, in my opinion, real emotional connection to the subject matter. And they're the ones who make these movies billion dollar franchises because there's a lot more of them that need to be reminded. And there's a reason Doctor Strange has never sustained his own comic book for very long, as long as he's been around. You could say the same about Black Panther, but the Black Panther concept is way cooler and makes makes way more sense. The idea of magic never made sense to me in the Marvel context, and I think having four or five Oscar nominees and winners in the movie, as much as I love those actors, we shall see. Oh, very, very, very last question, then we're really going to go. Have you seen Con Man online? The uh, Alan Tudyk um satire with with nathan fillion about what it's like to be alan tudyk basically playing himself as like a you know guy who's whose pinnacle was firefly and nathan fillion becomes like a giant movie i mean he's exaggerated nathan fillion becomes a giant movie star um it's uh it says you know a tudyk character is a struggling actor who starred on a spaceship pilot called spectrum a canceled Mm -hmm. science fiction series that went on to become a cult classic his good friend jack moore played by nathan fillion who starred as the ship's captain has become an a-list movie star frustrated by jack's success and his lack thereof ray travels the science fiction convention circuit makes appearances at comic book stores and visits pop culture events navigates the odd people and incidents he encounters along the way while learning to love the fans he has sounds kind of depressing on the surface but i hear it's quite funny and with those two and by the way they initially were going to do three 10 minute episodes and we're trying to raise like you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. 
they ended up raising three million plus <laughs> and not only turned it into 13 episodes but they actually filmed which i can't wait to see one of the 13 is a fake episode of spectrum aka firefly and they got renewed and they got picked up as like one of now comic-con has their own channel or whatever um that they're that they're going to be a- a- airing on comic-con season two uh the originals on season one highly recommend that even though i haven't seen it it's on my list i just found about this the other day anything you want to plug no all right well thanks maddie g and we're gonna continue to talk about this stuff and uh oh how you feeling about the patriots good <laughs> good i've got I'm, the best quarterback in the league probably yeah. ever defense well, looks solid well, and but he's I got like a plus 20 fuck you modifier right i mean yeah but he had that last year and they still lost although they lost because everybody good on their team got hurt i mean they lost their running back half their linemen you know, I'm a little nervous that Gronkowski just seems to have these recurring injuries. So I'm worried that this is going to be another one of those years for him because he kind of he'll have a great year where he's healthy all year and then he'll have a bad year where he gets hurt and misses a lot of it. But even still, I, I think I mean, I'm so far haven't seen anything to tell me the Patriots aren't the best team in the AFC, maybe Pittsburgh. But I mean, I, Denver's already got two losses and I don't see anything really threatening coming out of the South. I, the South is a dumpster fire division again. NFC side, I don't know. Um, I mean, Minnesota, I have a hard time taking seriously, but they have certainly had a great start. I mean, Eagles should be 4-0. They got hosed uh, against the, the Lions at the end of the game, and then some bad calls, and it led to a fumble, and they're 3-1. I, I still don't think they're even as good as 3-1, and but the defense is much improved, and we definitely have the quarterback of the future. So, as I say, it, as long as the Eagles have a quarterback of the future and our Phillies farm system is, is good, that's all I can hope for, essentially, <laughs> at this point. So, all right, man, well, thanks for joining me. Bizzlecast listeners, we are out.